Okay, good morning. You guys are lucky. The last time I presented this video, I was on my own, but you have my family with me. Joshua shot the video. He just, my Ann and Joshua just ran the Tele 10 this morning. Uh, they're a bit late. Joshua got an award. He uh, first time ran the Tele 10, and he did great. And uh, but he also shot that video here. Yeah. So you guys are lucky. You guys get my fantastic family <laughs> here and get to see the video. So show the video to give you a glimpse of what. Um, I did an average day when I was in Nepal four, five years ago. Um, none of this was embellished. This was just a typical day uh, that we did there. So I'll give you some idea of some of the work that uh, the hospital does. Um, when I tell people they're going to go into Nepal, some people say, okay. <laughs> I'm not quite so sure what they're thinking. I'm not always sure if I want to know what they're thinking. Um, but I get a variety of reactions. My aunt uh, was not so impressed. She said, there's such a desperate need for people here in Canada. Why go to Nepal? And, um, and I've sat through many missionary talks, and I um, sometimes must confess that I've had a hard time to make a connection because I um, have never been to that country, and it seems so remote. And we will try our best in the next few minutes to help you to understand this amazing country. Um, so I we went with InterServe five years ago. InterServe is a wonderful organization, and uh, the privilege to have uh, Bill McKelvey here. In many ways, Bill spent his life with InterServe. In many ways, we feel like we're hardly worthy to walk in their footsteps. But I, uh, they, um, and um, and uh, they've been there for a lifetime. We're going for a year, but I can tell you that even for a year, it's for take a family of six for a year. It's a big thing. And, uh, and one of the reasons why they want me here is because I work as an emergency room physician here in town. And because I acquire these skills, I work day to day in town, that way I can go over and I can be a help to people, to, to residents in the hospital as we work and interact with them. So that helps me to keep my skills current to a level that uh, this country would want. And uh, that's what InterServe is all about. It's all about sending people uh, with skills uh, to work in a third world setting. Um, I worked with InterVarsity for many years and, uh, and worked with international students in particular. And we had hundreds, if not thousands, of people come through the program. I got to know so many people from different countries. Uh, and I must confess, I don't remember many people from Nepal during those years. Um, but since we've come back, there's a Nepali community in Canada. I know, Bev, try, you tried to introduce us to somebody from Nepal. Uh, we made telephone contact, but I don't think that actually worked out. But we've got to know people. The Nepali uh, community is much in flux here in this, this province. So what do you think of when you think of Nepal? When a lot of people think of Nepal, they think mountains. And yes, the eight of the 10 highest mountains in the world are from Nepal. You saw in the video, um, people had these hats on. And they tell me that the hat is stands for the mountains of Nepal, so that little peak there. So you're supposed to set it right, and that, uh, that's, that stands for the mountains. But eight of the ten highest mountains were in the world are Nepal. China, um, where's Wuzan? I don't see Wuzan up here, but I think he's here. Um, but half of the summit of Mount Everest is actually shared with Nepal, and the other half is shared with China. Um, so some people think mountains. What do you think when you think? Some people think earthquake. There's, there was a huge earthquake two years ago, and 
and uh, and there was a thanks Steve and uh, just after that we had a hike and there's people in this room that attended that hike that helped out with it we were able to raise a lot of money for relief effort here's my wife it was a <laughs> day the weather started to come down leading a group of people and uh, so mountains earthquake poverty on uh, the video we showed just how poor the average person is there there's some very very rich people in Nepal and there's a lot of very, very poor people in Nepal. In fact, the majority of people are very, very poor. Huge disparity between rich and poor. So we worked there in the emergency room for a year. And I got to tell you, that hospital in Nepal does great work. I would go through a village and uh, or walk through a village. I'd bike through a village. And people would say, where are you from? And I'd say, I'm from Canada. And uh, they say, what are you doing? And i say, I work in Tanzan Hospital. And they'd say, oh, Mission Hospital. And um, this hospital stands as a beacon in a country. You see, healthcare in Nepal is very much a business. It's very much an unregulated business. And many um, government officials, people use healthcare to make money. And they take the hospital, um, they exploit many people. Uh, a family comes, a sick child comes, like you might have seen come. And... Um, and the people tell you, you need a CAT scan and you need um, expensive drugs. And so family gets together, their extended family, their extended family, and they pool the money. And a lot of times it's not needed. And uh, so corruption, exploitation is huge in this poor country. Um, but this hospital is great. And uh, just the year we came, the hospital, the government had given this hospital an award as uh, as best hospital in Nepal, which says much about it. So it shows that it's respected. It does have a witness. In fact, right on the um, right on the front, it says, "We serve Jesus saves." And I, Bill, have you been to that hospital before? No. Never been there before. Okay. So, and again, it's right here. We serve Jesus heals. So the witness is there. Um, and. Uh, we will talk some about Nepal this morning, but before we're going, look, we're looking to go in September. We're going to have a bit more interactive time uh, at West End Baptist before we go. So we invite uh, you to come and join us then and learn a bit more about it. A lot of the time this morning, I'm going to be talking uh, from the Word of God. Um, but we invite you to come and listen to the interaction and learn more about this exciting country and what God is doing. Um, Nepal is known as the land of the gods. Uh, everywhere you go, in, Nepal is an extremely religious country. Uh, for a long time, Nepal was the world's only Hindu nation. And everywhere you go in Nepal, you see temples, or the local people call them mandurs or shrines. And you can see one here. This is so typical. There's thousands of these things all over the country, a very, very religious country. Uh, the names, when you greet somebody, you say Nemeste, which literally means I greet the God in you. And uh, we had Nepali friends. One of them was named Ganesh, and Ganesh is the elephant god, and um, he's the god of success. And another one, and his wife's name was Lakshmi. And Lakshmi's, Lakshmi's name um, means wealth. So success and wealth, the, it's ironic, a country that is so poor that they actually worship this stuff. 
So it's just not North America uh, where, they wealth, where they worship health and wealth. In um, poverty, uh, next slide. The disparity between rich and poor people, and if you're a government official, then, uh, then you're probably wealthy. You know, I used to find it frustrating because uh, when these people come to the emergency room, they would expect special treatment. And, um, and, and, uh, and they expect to be treated special. There is just so much greed in Nepal. And we would go through, well, the previous slide, we'd go through communities and we'd see so many scenes like this. It's, it's young people with nothing to do. And you get this feeling of poverty. And this is the stuff that revolutions are made of. If you're a 21-year-old in Nepal, you probably don't look forward to a big future. You probably don't have very much to do. You probably have this overwhelming sense of boredom and hopelessness. And this is what I see even more. This is what I feel. And as you feel it, this is the stuff that revolutions are made of. And uh, next slide, please. And Marxism. Um, the politics in Nepal are extremely complex, but right now there's a Marxist government in Nepal. We think it's uh, Karl Marx. We think that Karl Marx was German. But Karl Marx was actually spent most of his life in Britain. I used to read Dickens. I, uh, um, I, loved, uh, I loved Charles Dickens. But Charles Dickens wrote in the 1800s. And during the 1800s in Britain, uh, Britain was going through the Industrial Revolution, and the poverty was extreme. Our kids, we listen to Oliver Twist. Focus on the Family does Oliver has that Oliver Twist production that is really good. And, um, and our family really, found, really enjoyed that. But the poverty, the extreme um, conditions that the people went through in England uh, in 18th century um, London were incredible. And this is what Dickens writes about. You, many of you guys read Bleak House. You know the stories. And this is where um, Marx spent his life. And this is where he gets this stuff. He saw the horrors of capitalism uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in London in the 1800s. And it's this disparity of rich and poor. It's this hopelessness of the people. That's why communism is so alive in Nepal today. Um, so extremely complex country politically. Um, about 15 years ago, there was a civil war in Nepal. Uh, thousands of people were killed during that war. Uh, Nepal, the communist government came to power very briefly. And just this last two years, the communist government is back in power again. We don't know what that's going to mean, but it's probably not going to be good. And uh, there's been some missions that have been asked to leave Nepal. The missions that we work with is very respected. They haven't been asked to leave. Um, but the political situation is very unstable there. And that is an item for prayer in Nepal. We just don't know which way it's going to go. Last year, it's illegal to proselytize in Nepal. Yet many people are becoming Christians. And I think Bill will tell you this phenomena that happens in Pakistan. Uh, but last year, uh, there were eight people that were actually prosecuted because they were teaching Sunday school. So this is the situation in Nepal today. Much in political uncertainty um, and, uh, and, and huge disparity between rich and poor. Uh, 
and Marxism now. Marx idealized the working class. Okay, the next slide, please. Marxist, pro Mar Marxist propaganda. This stuff was all over the place when we were there. This is all stuff we took very close to the house. But Marx idolized the working class, the proletariat. And the evil person was the bourgeoisie. He was the, he was the, the, the rich person. And Marx had this slogan, as you guys have heard from the Communist Manifesto, workers of this world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. And Marx taught that there would be this armed revolution and that the ruling class would be defeated, the working class would come to power, and there would be this wonderful utopian society. Um, now, of course, we know that's not the case, Anybody from China will tell you that the uh, when as soon as the ruling class gets in the ruling class is gone, that the uh, working class is every bit as evil and every bit as corrupt as the previous class was. Um, and but in Nepal, this sense of desperation among the young people is so strong that they're buying this stuff. And um, and uh, but the Bible is so different because the because the evil of capitalism is every bit as corrupt as the evil of communism. Um, when I went to Calvary the last time I was here was several weeks ago. It was just after the London, um, that tragedy just the other side of London Bridge where a van was driven into a group of people. You know the horrible story. And then they started stabbing people and people were scared and uh, so I came to Calvary just after that, and, and, and Steve, uh, Pastor Steve was so right. The problem is not the other guy. The propagandists say the problem is the other guy, but the Bible says the problem isn't always the other guy. It's the, it's the problem within the human heart. When I grew up in Halifax during the 60s and 70s, uh, the propaganda was the communists was bad. And it's so interesting. I was talking to Era. Era, as some of you know, uh, grew up in Russia. And she said, when I grew up in Russia, she said it was the North Americans that were the bad. It was the capitalists that was the bad. And, uh, and especially the Americans. So, but the Bible is message is very, very different than the propagandists. Um, in fact, I took a quote from Steve Daw this week off of his Facebook where Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, he said that the line separating good and evil pass not between states nor between social classes, but through the heart of every human being. So this me first attitude of the heart is not a problem between capitalists and communists. It's something inherent in every human being. It's just not Nepal, you know, it's, it's, it's North America. Uh, that's the human predicament. So. Lust the title of our message, What is First for You? So I invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. <coughs> and in Mark chapter 10, we see that the disparity between rich and poor is not just Nepal, but it was very prevalent in Jesus' day as well. And we see this when a man came to Jesus and asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? In, in verse 17. Um, and uh, he just wasn't any man. This person was a rich man. And Luke's version tells him that he was a ruler, likely a ruler in the synagogue. 
And what was Jesus' reaction when this man came to ask him? Next slide, please. It says, Jesus gazed at him, and Jesus loved him. And all of us here who know the Lord know how wonderful that look of love is. Um, and if you were there, and you would have seen the look on this man's face, you would have seen a man who looked very sincere. We know this because the passage says in verse 17 that the man ran up and he knelt before Jesus. And in the tropics, people just don't come running. And so, and he knelt. So get a visual of this. Um, here is Jesus. Uh, most of the crowd are very, very poor. Then all of a sudden, a very influential man everybody would have known suddenly comes running and he kneels before Jesus. An incredible scene. And... It says here that Jesus gazed at him and he loved him. But when Jesus gazed at him, he not only looked into his face, but he also looked into his heart. And when the man asked Jesus, good teacher in verse 17, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You'll see in the next verses is Jesus' reply was to keep the Ten Commandments. And if you look please at verse 20, uh, you'll see teacher just picture the sincere man the look that he has in his face as he's looking at jesus and he says teacher all these things i've kept since i was a boy in 21 jesus looked at him and loved him but one thing you lack he said go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven then come follow me and at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth the man was grieved, and I have no doubt that Jesus was even more grieved than this man was, because Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Jesus loved him just as much as he loved his disciples, just as much as he loves you, just as much as he loves me. And however, Jesus' demand for his disciples was this, that he demands that his disciples' first priority be his priority. But it wasn't just the young man that was upset, because the disciples were upset too on account of Jesus' demands. And we see this in verse 28. Next slide, please. And Peter, speaking on behalf of the disciples, said, We have left everything to follow you. The disciples were saying, hey, Jesus, we're not just like this rich guy. We have left everything. But had the disciples really let go of everything? And I just make a note, the word for left in the Greek is actually the common word ephemi. And ephemi, among other things, means not only to leave, um, but it means to let go. So had the disciples really let go of everything? And it's easy for the poor to dump on the rich. It's so easy for the poor in Nepal to dump on the rich people. Uh, that's the problem of Marxism. Uh, Marxism, the, the working class is squeaky clean, the uh, bourgeoisie, the rich is, is evil. Marx just had no concept of the fall. Marx had no concept of the fall. But the biblical message is that the core problem of the human person, the core problem with each one of us, the core problem is 
the fallen nature that's a part of every human being, whether capitalist, whether Marxist, whether Christendom, whether Muslim, it's the core problem of every person. So it's so easy to dump on the rich here, and I think that the disciples do that. And what's Jesus' reaction? Jesus' reaction is this. He said, my dear disciples, next slide please, but many who are first will be last, and last will be first. Many who are first will be last. He says, my dear Martin, I want your first priority to be my first priority. And personally, there's many times I failed my Lord, but I do think that my desire as a disciple is that my priorities be his priorities. And there's our, I don't think the call of God is the same to every person. The call to the rich young ruler was a call to volunteer poverty, to give up everything that he, that, that, that he owned and to, to give up his, his possessions and come and follow him. But I don't necessarily think that's the call that Jesus has for everybody. Our call is to go to Nepal, but he hasn't called many people to go to Nepal. Uh, God has a different call for each one of us here at different times in our lives. But one thing, the universal call, is that he wants his priority, his first, to be our first. So Peter spoke up and he says, we have left everything to call, follow you. And in verse 28, if you read that with me, and Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters, father or mother, Children of fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Jesus was not always a people pleaser, but he was always a people lover. And I must confess that many find this passage offensive because they feel that there's a tone of anti-family here. Every 10 years, a new book comes out that slams the Christian faith and it sells like hotcakes. And once a number of years ago, this was a book that sold like hotcakes. It was a bestseller, it was very popular. And Charles Templeton in the outlines the reason why he left the Christian faith. And in a chapter that is entitled Jesus Alienation from His Family, he takes aim at passages such as the one we're looking at this morning. And he uses them to suggest that Jesus had a very low opinion of family relationships. And um, next slide, please. And he says this, and I just quote from his book. On one public occasion, he makes an astonishing statement. This is what Templeton is saying. He writes, whoever comes to me and doesn't hate his father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even life itself cannot be my disciple. And he goes on to say, and it's clear in the above examples, so that's, the, uh, and, and, our, and our text, and that includes our text here in Mark chapter 10, that the point being made, um, Templeton said, speaks to the necessity for total commitment, but he also says that Jesus felt little or no affection, it would seem considerable animosity towards his family and it's implied in family in general. So, and perhaps you too, deep down inside, are feel offended by Jesus' words. Perhaps you feel 
in your heart that Jesus demands are unacceptable. Well, please, I invite you to look at these verses, our, our, our passage for today, in the context of Mark chapter 10, because I suggest to you that these verses show that Jesus has a very deep affection for family and that Jesus was very family-orientated. And, for example, look, please, at verse 6. Mark 10, verse 6. And in, verse, in that verse, um, Jesus' critics that come to him and they challenge Jesus with a very thorny subject of divorce. And Jesus answers to them in this way. He stressed in verse 6. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. In other words, sex and marriage and, and family were invented by God. It would be totally out of the character of the Jesus of Scripture that he would reject what God created. And the second is please look at verse 19. Because in verse 19, you see Jesus upholding the fifth commandment, the commandment to honor your father and mother. And, and to the rich young ruler in verse 19, among other things, Jesus says, honor your father and mother. You know the reaction. He's done, rich young ruler said, teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. You see, Jesus did not see this man's problem as his attitude towards his family. Jesus saw the man's problem as his attitude towards wealth. And the sister passage, this passage that Charles Templeton uh, took specific shot at in that little clip that I, that I read, um, I must confess I struggle with this because it contains this word hate. The Greek word is mistecho. It's the... Uh, uh, hate in our culture is a crime. And hate wasn't any less of a powerful word in Jesus' day. And he uses the word hate. And I struggled with that. And that, that, that bothered me. And I'm very indebted to John Stott, who points out that this is an example of the provocative way uh, that Jesus taught. Now, Jesus was a Hebrew. We think of Jesus as, Jesus wasn't Greek. He was, he was Hebrew. And part of Hebrew idiom, Dr. Stott stresses, is to express comparison in form of contrast. And we see this even more when you look at the sister passage of this, which is found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, it's the same thing, but it's worded. And instead of hate, the word is love. Let me read it to you in that context. Whoever loves his parents, his spouse, his children, his brothers or sisters... More than he loves me is not worthy of me. So Jesus is not telling us to hate anyone. What he's doing is he's telling us to love himself more than we love anything else. So Jesus does not stand in opposition to mother and father, husband and wife, other relationships. Look at verse 7, please. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. United. Is that famous in the king, for those who brought up in the King James tradition, the word was cleave, a very famous word. Um, but every day in everyday relationships, we make choices and we set priorities. And this is especially true with marriage. 
I watched a marriage where a mother would just not let go of her daughter. And that made considerable stress within the daughter's relationship. And my heart just ached. But that daughter had never really cleaved from her mother and vice versa. The consequences of not leaving, of not letting go, uh, was causing heartbreaking difficulties. And one of the more common causes of marital breakdown is that. It's when a mother or father just hold on too tightly to their son or their daughter after they get married, or vice versa. So in human relationships, we know that there are times that leaving, letting go is necessary. Jesus makes that very clear in verse 7. Um, there's a difference between leaving and rejecting. And I don't think that Charles Templeton gets this. Um, and my question is, if people have no difficulty understanding that leaving is necessary in human-human relationships, then why do they have so much difficulty in divine human relationships? So next slide, please. So Jesus said that our, dis our discipleship, our loyalty to Jesus, should be higher than anything else, higher than our parents, higher than um, even other relationships like that are very dear to us, like boyfriend or girlfriend. So Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship, and many find this um, confusing. And then if we look at these verses again, Jesus also talks about the reward of discipleship. And let's look at these verses again. Okay, so verse 29 again. And it says, Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters, father or mother, that's relationships and material things for me and the gospel, uh, will fail to receive a hundred times as much. And then he lists it again. This hundred times as much. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, with regards to relationships, all the commentaries say this relationship is the family we get when we enter the family of God. And a common misunderstanding here is that a lot of people think that our old family is the old family gets replaced by a new. The old family, but the old family and the new family are not mutually exclusive. They are not mutually exclusive. By a hundredfold, Jesus wants to augment. He wants to expand our family. He doesn't want you to reject your father, your mother, your sister, your brother. Now, there are times, for instance, when a person uh, becomes a member of the family of God that unavoidable conflicts arise and painful misunderstandings arise. But these painful misunderstandings and conflicts are not a result of Jesus' call to discipleship. They're a result of the problem that's core to all human beings. It's that because we're alienated from God, it's because we're alienated from the God who created us to be in relationship with himself. And conflicts are just not restricted to, um, to, to Christian relation, to discipleship relationships. Conflicts in family occur all the time. I watched two brothers in painful conflict for many years. And they weren't talking to each other. Uh, and the family just didn't know what to do. And, and then one became a Christian. And after quite a while, the other became a Christian. And through the agape love of Christ, there was 
healing that no human counselor could ever perform. When our family went to Nepal five years ago, God took us out of our comfort zone. He stretched us as a family. He gave us the experience of a new family. And we witnessed God at work in a cross-cultural setting. And so many lovely Christian people in Nepal. We didn't speak their language, although we learned a lot of it. But it was evident that they loved Jesus and they were, they were growing in their faith. And it was humbly to be loved and to be prayed for by Christians from a different country. And it was humbly for, humbling for many who were uneducated. And it was them that taught us. And we experienced the family. And a and hundred times as much in this present age, Oh, something got knocked out, but it's in your Bible. <laughs> it's, it's there. Okay, so it's just not future. It, this verse emphasizes it's in the present age, along with persecutions. The Bible doesn't teach a health and wealth discipleship. There's many churches, many huge churches in North America that teach health and wealth, but that is not Jesus' teaching, and that's very clear here, and he adds with persecution. Uh, Jesus wants my first, he wants your first to be his first. And uh, so a hundred times as much. Now, look at the person that's sitting next to you. Now, you might ask, a hundred times as much? That person next to me is a nice guy. Maybe he's worth one time as much or two times as much, but a hundred times as much. Um, don't you think Jesus is pushing it here? Or maybe the person next to you is not really nice. And I know last time I was here, Stephen, I remember Pastor Steve using the term heavenly sandpaper. And, uh, and some of us are pretty gritty. And, uh, and we don't always notice it. But I think that I know we've suffered headaches at times um, at the hands of the Christian community. And I think if you could talk to anyone here, there's times that, that, that we have. I think if you talk to the pastor here, there's times that we that uh, suffered headaches at the hands of the Christian community. Um, I've sat through many meetings, brethren, Baptist, um, worked with InterVarsity for many years and uh, many meetings and wonderful people, wonderful blessings, wonderful things happening. But at times there's things that happen that are hard to understand. And uh, there's times that the Christian community doesn't always seem like one big happy family. And sometimes that's even the mission field. Um, but when God created us, um, and, and, call, and when God calls us, and God creates us as Christians, and God calls discipleship, he does not um, cause the old man to die. Martin Luther used to talk and used to say that um, the old man may be dead, but the corpse still twitches. And that's, that, that's, that's, that's so true. And it's no accident here that the passage that follows our, our text from today is actually uh, that story where James and John um, say, me first. They say, yeah, next slide, please. And oh, no, sorry, the previous one. <laughs> Same idea. They say to him, grant us to sit, one in your right and one in your left in your glory. 
And Martin used to talk about the distinction between a theology of glory and a theology of grace. And this is what he's talking about. Uh, one minute the disciples are here and they're saying, Jesus, we're not like this rich guy. We left everything. And next minute there's this big squabble about who's first. You see, it wasn't just the rich guy that had a priority problem. The disciples had one too. And in their hearts, Jesus read the hearts. He knew their priorities. And what was Jesus' reaction? Next slide. And it says, And Jesus called them, said, You know that those are those who considered rulers, the Gentiles ruled over them, the great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever must be first of, must be first of all. Lord, it over them. Just go to Nepal. You're going to see lording it over people um, all over the place and in the different countries of the world. But the world's values all too quickly slip into the Christian community. The desire to be first. The world's value to exercise authority. The world's value to exercise power. But Jesus is very clear. Not so with you. But it shall not be among you. Jesus is showing a different model here. And all throughout the history of the church, we so often forget it. And as an emergency room doctor, I listen to many stories. There's not many professions where you see uh, the, the fallenness, the core reality of people like you do in the emergency room, or which you would see as a family doctor that Bill would see. There's not many. Um, the skeletons come out of the closet every day. And uh, I was just, I, the last shift I worked, I'm very careful to tell stories about the emergency room because I don't want to uh, betray uh, confidences in any way, shape, or form. My colleagues came up to me when I worked this last shift, and she said, you couldn't make this stuff up, she says. Just can't make it up. And I listened to her story, and she said, a cruise ship came in, and... A husband and wife got off, and they came into the emergency room, and they had their bags off the cruise ship, and the man looked really sick. He was sweating. He uh, was having chest pain, and I knew from the start he'd have to stay, so I told him, you don't have to stop your cruise, and, and he's going to have to stay. And she left the room, and then she heard this big dispute between the husband and the wife, and the wife was really mad. She said, a fine time you picked to, 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 to have a heart attack, and the man did. He had a heart attack. And the blood enzymes were up, and, uh, and sure enough, the wife grabbed her bag, and she went in the cruise, and she finished her cruise, and, uh, and the gentleman went on to have bypass surgery the next day. I, um, now, this is, well, it's reality, but, it, um, but desire to be first or put my agenda first is not usually more subtle than that, but it's there. And Jesus... Um, shows these verses because he knows how vulnerable we are in this area. We all are. I am. We all are. And there's a danger here for all of his disciples. And that's why he says in verse 31, but many who are first will be last. Jesus demands this of all his disciples, disciples like you and like me. He demands that we make his priority, our, his pri make, make our priority his priority. And in verse 26, it says, and who can be saved? 
And Jesus looked at him and he said, With man that's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Who then can be saved? Steve, the last time I was here, he quoted um, Don Carson as saying, We are beggars who have found food and tell others where to find it. I'm not a Christian because of anything that I've done. I'm a Christian for what, what man that's impossible, uh, but not with God. I'm a Christian 100% of what Jesus has done. All things are possible with God. And Pastor Steve is so right that uh, becoming a Christian is not joining a social club. I can't make you a Christian. Pastor can't make you a Christian. Nobody can make you a Christian. But I urge you to accept by faith the fact that Jesus, as we sang this morning, um, that he gave his life as a ransom to redeem you and to um, fix my impossibly fallen human condition. And that's a fact that I accepted by faith. And the reality is that Jesus did save me. Next slide, please. And Jesus said, well, okay, go back to, and Jesus said, whoever be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. Becoming a Christian is accepting that fact by faith and being a disciple is living out that reality. If you do accept Christ, we just pray that you would tell us or ask us more questions. Next slide, please. But many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. May we all make Jesus' first priority our priority. Okay, next slide. So we thank you for listening. Um, we pray that you would partner with us. We pray that you would um, pray for us. Um, this is a this this is a good work. Um, a lot of the lot of the money and support we'll do ourselves, but it's very expensive to take a family of six overseas, and uh, it's a good work. The work of this hospital, the money does not go to a corrupt organization. It goes to a very very good work, and uh, we have an email list at the back. We encourage you to sign it so we can send you our emails, and uh, and we thank you for listening. May God bless you.